Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians. And I would like us to return to those verses we read earlier. Ephesians chapter 2. Title of the lesson is very simple. Saved by grace. Saved by grace. Let's try to look into this and see what the Lord has for us. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. This particular letter, of course, was written to a church that is part of that circuit of churches in Asia Minor that John later wrote to in Revelation chapter 1. At this point, this church is on fire. If you've ever read Acts chapter 19, that gives you the background and context for the formation of the congregation there. Paul went into this area and had a revival. I'm telling you, the power of God was falling like rain in that place. People were being saved. They were being filled with the Holy Spirit. People were being healed. Miracles of various kinds were taking place. And Paul set up shop there simply by preaching the gospel. And he was able to run the devil out of a lot of people's lives. These people were saved by grace. Genuinely saved. Truly saved. They didn't convert to a religion. They didn't start going to a fellowship and learn a particular liturgy. Their heart was ablaze with a love for God. Everything changed when they came to know the king. Paul, of course, because he needed to continue to travel, did so. But at some point in his journeys, he took the time to sit and to write and to pen these words. And whenever Paul took the time to write, it was always because he wanted to address circumstances that were of grave importance to him. But in this instance, there's no rebuke for anybody in the church at Ephesus. These people were walking with God. They were doing what they needed to do. But you can see in chapter one that Paul has a very lengthy prayer In the second half of that chapter. And part of that prayer is that the believer's eyes would be open to understand the hope of the calling of God. To understand the riches of his grace. But when we get into chapter 2, Paul has to explain to us what our former condition was in order for us to be able to appreciate our present circumstance in Christ. And when we look back at who we were and compare that to who we are, you can see that the contrast is drastic. He says in verse one that we were dead. Of course, we understand that a corpse possesses no life. We know that there's no emotion, no feeling of any kind. And Paul speaks of speaks of us as being dead in trespasses and sins. Why does he use the two words? What are the distinctions in the two words? Of course, you've seen a sign before that says no trespassing. 
That for us in English means you ought not be on property that doesn't belong to you. That you can be in a place where you're not supposed to be in. Well, of course, a trespass is the result of the disobedience. What is sin? Disobedience. Disobedience to who? To God. Disobedience to what? The law of God. What was the first sin? It had to do with disobedience in the garden. The Lord told Adam and Eve, here are all the trees of the garden. You can eat of them, but this one tree belongs to me. Stay away from it. Now, they knew what God said. He didn't say it in a foreign language. He spoke to them in a manner that they could understand. And the garden was big enough for them to go in any direction but the direction of the thing that was forbidden. That's where they went. And because they reached out and grabbed the fruit, the Bible says their eyes were open. They suddenly realized that they were naked. And because of their disobedience, because of their sin, because of their trespass. All the children born into this world coming from Adam and Eve. Born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We don't have to like it. It really doesn't matter. It's just the way that it is because of one man's sin. People were made sinners, as Romans said. You may say, well, I don't know if I can believe that. Well, think of it this way from a natural circumstance. You may not necessarily like the body type you received from the DNA of your parents. But you still have those brown eyes or green eyes or blue eyes. You still have that body type, you still have hair like your mom and your dad, and you're shaped like them, whether or not you like the DNA, you can't do anything about it. And it's the same thing with this issue of sin. We are born into this world as sinners. However, we are born in need of redemption. And God ensured that before there ever was a problem, he had the answer. Before there ever was any kind of a condition of illness, he had the cure. Before there ever was anything that was too, too hard for us to comprehend, he already had the solution in Christ. And so all of us, before we became Christian, we were dead. We were insensitive towards spiritual things insensitive towards the Christian, had no feeling at all for the word of God. We could sit and listen to 20 people preach the gospel and it may have had no impact upon us at all. Why do you think that five people can listen to a preacher minister the word of God, two people come under conviction, another person be totally indifferent to it, and then two other people respond to the gospel and come to know Christ? The Spirit of God, it worked in a person's life. And there'll be some people that'll read the Word, hear the Word, and they'll say, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe the Scriptures are holy, inerrant, and pure. But there'll be somebody else that attends a church, and they'll say, I believe the Bible is filled with legend and tales. You know, anytime I come in contact with somebody that tells me the Bible is filled with lies, I know that man or woman is not born again. I don't care if they've been in church all their life. Anyone who will say that Jesus truly wasn't born of a virgin isn't truly born again. Anyone that will say Jesus did not literally come up out of that grave. I know that person is still dead in their trespasses and in their sins. 
And this is what Paul said. Paul said, if someone denies the truth of the resurrection, their faith is in vain. Whatever they believe, they believe in vain. And so we were all dead in our trespasses. That's how I was. My family wasn't a church going family. My family wasn't filled with people that were in love with the Lord. I could count on one hand the the number of people that occasionally went to church, but I can't say they necessarily brought the church home with them. But I would spend my Sundays watching football games or doing yard work or whatever chores my mom had for me to do. And I had neighbors that went to church and I never could understand why they needed to get up and every Sunday morning put on nice looking clothes and go out to a church service just to have somebody yell at them and then come home. That's what they did. They were they were happy to do it. And they did it week after week after week after week. Well, I understood it when I finally came to know the Lord, when the Lord chased me down in that little church on the west side of Cleveland and brought conviction to bear on my heart. And I surrendered my life to the king in the fall of 1982. Then it was at that point that I realized I'm a totally different creature now. Old things have passed away. Well, even though I was alive in Christ now, I was still in a home with people that were dead in their trespasses and sins. And so they had no sympathy at all towards my faith in God. Oh, my brothers teased me something terrible. And my mom and dad were not pleased at all at the idea of them having to get up on a Sunday morning and drive me to church. And they had to get dressed to drive me to church and then they'd have to come back sometimes and pick me up. Fortunately, I was able to start getting a ride there and back. But I'm just telling you, people that don't know God, they're not interested in spiritual things. And having a relative that's born again won't put them in the mood always for spiritual things. So Paul says that all of you at one time were dead. But verse verse number two, he talks about in past times when we walked according to the course of this world. That that means like like the flowing of a river. We were like a twig or a leaf that was being carried downstream. No ability at all to resist. Just carried about in the waters. And when it uses the word course, It's talking about a specific trajectory and a pathway in which people were traveling. Do you realize that we were on a path that was taking us to hell? That we were not on a path leading us to heaven? And when I say it was a dark path, it was a terrible path. And and what makes it so horrible is that people that you love and people who are nice naturally in their temperament and in their personality, without a knowledge of Jesus Christ, they're carried in the course of this world and have no idea they're going to die without God. Because we've all heard people say this. Well, I just believe if I keep the golden rule and I love people like I want to be loved, then I'll make it to heaven. I can assure you there are a whole lot of people in hell that were nice 
But being nice is not the answer. The sins have to be eradicated and washed in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not helping now that that the course of this world has now flowed over, overflowed into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. If it rains too much around here, that water's going to find some inroad into your house. I mean, there's going to be a corner in your basement if it floods and rains long enough. That water having to have somewhere to go. Unless you've got a wonderfully built home, you're going to have some seepage come in somewhere. And we're watching as the church today has to deal with all the effects of being in this world. Being surrounded by a culture that is opposed to God. And we can see that the course has now not only come into the church, but many preachers, many Christians have been swept up and swept away by this particular river. Uh, you, you, you talk to some older people today and you'll be astonished at what elderly people can believe now when they stop believing in the Bible. They turn towards Error when they begin to reject the truth. How many times have you listened to some minister on television or on radio and then you have to hear them telling stories about, well, I don't think a church ought to talk about social issues. They ought not ever mention homosexuality or ought not ever mention uh, abortion and they shouldn't talk too much about sin and things like that. I'm telling you, that's, that's a preacher that's got swept away by the course of this world. See, because once the world comes in and begins to wash the mouths of the preachers. By the time the preacher's vocabulary has been left, he has nothing to talk about but motivational stuff and inspirational stuff. But what inspires a man or woman better than the gospel? Because we all need to hear it. All of us at some point have had to come to know who the king is. And I, we've seen it all over and over again. I think of the many churches my wife and I have held meetings for out here. And always we have to stand after the service and talk to older people that are weeping and crying. Because it's so hard to find somebody that will preach the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Preaching one time at a free Methodist church. The pastor was a <clears throat> good man, loved the Lord. He definitely was, was born again, but he, but he had one of those congregations that just didn't want to go forward, just didn't want to move, and I'm not sure he knew how to move them in the sense that he didn't know what to preach. But he was a, he was a dedicated Methodist, and so he, he held close to, to those beliefs, but he, he wanted me to come preach, and my wife and I went in several uh, meetings through the years for him, but in this one particular meeting, we've got people coming down to the altar, because I said to them, before every service, 30 minutes before every service, I want every man in this church to meet me in this altar for prayer. We're going to pray before every service, asking God to do something in this house. And so sure enough, the men, they met me down there in the altar, and it wasn't closed off to the ladies. The ladies were showing up too, but we're there praying, and we're seeking the face of God. And, of course, you preach that first night. You know, it's kind of tough. You know, 
this is like swinging in a punching bag. And you just keep on plowing ahead and you keep preaching. And then pretty soon you, you can see the tension starts easing up by the second and third day because you're, you're dealing with the words. You're plowing up that fallow ground. And then pretty soon, you know, by that last service, You've got people praying all over that place on their knees, crying out to God, asking God to send a move of God to their particular church. But at the end of that revival, the last night of that meeting, saying goodbye to all of these people, they're hugging my neck and they're they're crying and everything. One after another, they say the same thing. I can't remember the last time somebody came and preached the truth of God to us in this way. You know, why does it have to be that way in a Methodist church when a Methodist church once had the truth with John Wesley and so many others? I preached one time in a church of God. That's a Pentecostal movement. Holiness Church had revival there. God was moving, had young people in the altar, their hands are up, they're crying out to God, tears coming down those faces. One by one, I'm watching God filling young people and older people with the Holy Ghost, people speaking with other tongues, just like in Acts chapter 2. But in one of those meetings, at the end of it, they came and rushed over there. They said, Brother Darrell, could you come over to the parsonage? I said, sure. I got my friend who's... A fellow pastor, we walked over there to the parsonage. That pastor's wife was in the corner in a fetal position and curled up crying, saying, I don't want to go back in there. I don't want to go back in there. Her and her husband were the pastors of that church. But they took that church and couldn't move the congregation. And they took that church and it was hard. And for them, it seemed like the death of them in there. She was so discouraged and she saw everything taking place in that meeting as God was moving and saving souls and touching people and individuals coming from different directions to be part of that meeting. She had a nervous breakdown. Never did come back into those services. Now, folks, listen to me. The life of God doesn't produce nervous breakdowns. And when a man or woman's mind breaks and it falls apart, it's never because of the life of God in manifestation. It's because somehow or another we allowed that flesh to get into that life and it began to dominate and control us. The course of this world entered into her heart and into her husband's heart. And rather than preaching old time Pentecost and believing for the mighty anointing and presence of God, they started trying to imitate preachers they saw on television. Whatever happened to praying through? Whatever happened to fasting? Whatever happened to seeking God for the Lord to do something remarkable in the lives of our families? Well, Paul, he says in our old life, we lived according to this course of this world and we were under the dominion of the devil, as he says there in verse two. I think if you were to tell any sinner that the devil controls them, they'd either laugh at you or cuss at you or maybe want to slap us. they say, how dare you say something offensive like that to me? What makes you think that I'm under the dominion of the devil? Well, the things that you're saying 
and the lifestyle that you're living makes me think that it's the spirit that works now in disobedience inside you. If I talk to somebody about the Bible and they get irritated and say something like, come on, let's not talk shop today. Then I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you you, you think talking about the Bible is talking shop? Then, then I know I'm not dealing with a lover of the king. But when you find somebody passionate about God, fervent about God, they don't want to talk about anything but God many times. You know, that's that, that's not to say that talking about other things is always sinful or anything like that. But I am saying to you that, that, that Christians do love to talk about their savior. And I love the his stories about how people were saved. I like the testimonies when people stand up and share how they were lost but then how they came to know the Lord and they spend more time talking about how they came to know the Lord and their, li- their life in God since then. Have you heard those testimonies where people get up and they spend 20 minutes telling you how bad they were and then give you 30 seconds? And then the Lord found me after they didn't killed the service and told everybody about every wicked thing they ever did. Well, that's not the way you're supposed to give a testimony. Your testimony is supposed to magnify God, make God bigger in the room and in the atmosphere. We all know we've done things we wish we hadn't have done. But there's no sense in us snatching it out from under the blood and telling everybody about everything we've done. Yeah. Spirit that works in disobedience in people. Now, Paul, then, he, he's working on our, our minds in verse 3, and he's talking about the lusts of the flesh and how that by nature we were angry people, children of wrath. Again, everybody's temperament is different. But all of us can be provoked to anger by something. Everybody has a butt can be pushed. And if you think you're the kind of person that doesn't have a button that can be pushed, let me hang around you for a little while. We may find that button. We, we, we may find that button. I've, I've, seen, I've seen ladies that are quite nice and always happy and smiling and don't create any havoc at all. But you, you put your hands on one of their kids or you say something to one of their kids that they didn't want you to say. Yeah, mama moves from being a lamb to being a mama bear. Yeah, I've, 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 had, I've heard men tell me, oh, no, I'm saved, sanctified, full of the Holy Ghost. There's nothing that can be done to bring that old man up out of me. And then somebody takes a swing at him. Then before they know it, that old nature comes roaring back in defense and wanting to fight. Everybody can be provoked in one way or another. But you know, the good thing about being a Christian is God takes that old man and he ties him to the cross where Jesus Christ died. So that now that old nature and all of its affections can be restrained. You don't have the ability on your own and I don't have the ability on my own. Because these passions are great. He says in verse three, the lusts of the flesh In ancient times, these things were dominant, and they didn't have television and radio. But you know, that ancient Roman theater 
was filled with lust and sin, things like that. People could go see plays that were filled with debauchery, adultery, all kinds of things like that. But Paul, he seems to intimate in verse 3 that there was a time in our previous lifestyle to Christ that we engaged in those things. I was preaching Friday night to the folks in the church, and as I'm preaching, I'm looking at all these people that are out here, and I know I've got a whole lot of folks used to be on drugs, and they're now born again. They're sitting there listening to the word of God. And as I was preaching, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder in what way they had to compromise themselves when they were living a life where they were dominated by their addictions. Growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, I've seen people do a lot of bad things for drugs. I've seen people trade babies for drugs. I've seen people do foul things for drugs. Men doing things, selling themselves, ladies giving themselves away in order to have a fix, to give them pleasure for just a few moments. This is what he's talking about, the past life of the lust of your flesh, because these lusts have an appetite that is so great you cannot satisfy them. That's why so many marriages today are on the rocks. You've got guys watching things they shouldn't be watching, gals watching things they shouldn't be watching on their phone, on the computer, or wherever, and it doesn't matter. The Spirit of God will come upon them and bring conviction and say, walk away from that, lay it down, crucify, and they'll weep and cry and say, God, I don't want to do this. I want to be free of this, but that old nature still isn't satisfied. Next opportunity, right back there again, doing it. Willpower alone is not enough for anybody to live a life of freedom. You've got to come into verse 4 to recognize what God is able to bring for the believer. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, See, no one's ever going to be as merciful to you as God will. I've told you before, we tend to be very forgiving and very compassionate to our blood kin. But we're not always that way with other people. We'll put up with and tolerate our own family's mistakes. But we won't always put up with everybody else's. You, you have some mom who grows older and she's had a derelict son who's been that way for 40 or 50 years. But I'm telling you, you better not say anything bad about that boy because mama's going to be covering up his sins with, with her love. And that's my baby. That's how she talks. And she don't want to hear anything bad about her, her child because she puts up with that. But she wouldn't put up with that in anybody else's. No. Oh, you, you watch grandparents, they'll grab that little grandbaby, that little baby's nose will be running, eyes crying, I mean, face different colors, fever could be 101.6, and they're holding that baby, and they're rocking that baby, and they're kissing that baby, and they said, look, now, grandma's got you, you're going to be all right. And grandma didn't think about getting the cold or the flu or the pneumonia that that little baby has. She just knows this is my grandchild and I'm holding on. 
you see? And that's what she does. Rock the baby, walk the floor with the baby, feed the baby, change the baby's diapers, whatever needs to be done. But then that same grandma go out to Walmart and she'll be walking down the aisle looking at stuff there on the, the different shelves. And here comes some other lady pushing along a little baby. And that little baby is sneezing. And that little baby looks as sick as can be. And that grandma's like, I can't believe they even brought that baby out here to this store. <laughs> I mean, one little sneeze had her believing she's going to be in the infirmary somewhere. But yet she just held and rocked her baby. We have a tendency to be merciful towards people that are related to us, toward people that are connected to us. But God, who is rich in mercy, he loves even the sinner. Thank God he did. Thank God he does. Both sinner and saint alike. And the scripture says he's rich in mercy for the great love that he loved us with. And even when we were dead in sins, he quickened us. He did that in Christ. While we were yet in our sins, God loved us before we ever loved him. Now that's a great, great love. You ever loved somebody before they ever loved you? I mean, that's. That's that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful feeling. I, I don't know if some of you spouses can remember <clears throat> the first time your spouse told you that he or she loved you. But do you realize that that in my relationship with my wife, I had to say it first? I did. See, Tiffany, even Johanna's laugh. See? I had to say it first. I, I still remember laying there on the floor and Tiffany was kind of sitting next to me and she's looking down at me and she's got that big, beautiful smile. And I just kind of told her, girl, I love you. Well, she didn't even know what to say in response. What kind of a reaction is that? Supposed to say I love you back. Well, sometimes you, you, you can find that a person can be in love with you before you ever reciprocate. And with God, God chased you because God loved you. God pursued you because he loved you and his love followed you all over this earth. In every classroom. Yeah. In every swimming pool, on every bus ride, to every state that you travel to, God went out of his way to make sure that he put his arms around you. And even when you were pushing him away, saying, I'm not interested in you right now, he kept coming. And I'm so glad God is persistent. Yeah. Because whenever people are trying to push you away, you got to be persistent. If you're in love with somebody, don't let anybody shut you down. My mother-in-law, she thought I was the most anointed person in Jimmy Swaggart's church. Boy, I'd come down there in, in the sanctuary and I always went to the front row, always to the front pew, directly in front of the pulpit. And I sat down there, and when the service started, I'm dancing around the altar. I'm praising the Lord. I've got my hands lifted up, and I'm glorifying the King. My mother-in-law thought I was anointed. 
She said, this is a man of God. She'd hear me giving utterance in tongues and then the interpretation. She'd hear somebody else give a tongue. I'd give the interpretation. She said, not my words. She said, she sit up there in that choir thinking to herself, that young man is anointed. And then lo and behold, I fell in love with her daughter. And she thought I was the devil. She, she thought I came to steal away her little girl and take her to the other side of the earth in the Middle East and was going to have her living like a poor missionary in a foreign country. She didn't want to have anything to do with me. However, there's always a plan B. So Tiffany goes back to school. I'm still talking about how you can love somebody even when you haven't struggles there. Tiffany went back to school and I knew that my mother-in-law liked Chinese food. So do I. So one day I said to her after service, I said, you know what? I said, how about I take you out to a Chinese restaurant? She wasn't all that excited the first time. But, you know, you take somebody to a good Chinese restaurant, let them eat whatever they want. And I mean, they're they're quite happy. And then pretty soon this became a week to week thing. Neither of us told Tiffany we were getting together. And uh, little by little, I just kind of wore down. I did. I I just wore down. And when Tiffany came home for break. And we had service, and after the service, I was saying, well, we were talking about where we're going to go to eat. And I said, let's just go to our usual spot. And Tiffany's wondering, what in the world is a usual spot? Well, I had been working because I was in love with her, and I knew the only way I was going to get her, I had to go through Mama. And the only way I could go through Mama was to find something where Mama and I connected and she enjoyed, see? Well, that's what God had to do with you and me. He found circumstances in our life through which he could connect with us. And once he did, the bond was solidified. I'm telling you, folks, when I fell in love with the king, I fell in love. I mean, I got one more dose of God when I fell in love with him, and I have wanted him ever since. I think if you really fall in love with Jesus the right way, you'll never want to leave him. No, no, don't fall in love with a religious Jesus. Don't fall in love with a Jesus that only tells you you can't do this, you shouldn't do that. Don't, don't worry about that. Fall in love with the Savior that says, I love you. And in his embrace, you find joy in his presence. And the Spirit of God will reveal to you what you need to cut off. How you should sever yourself from this. God knows you've got to catch that fish before you ever can clean it. And you can't spend your time trying to tell people what they shouldn't do. Well, in the end, Paul says in verse five here that we're saved by grace. What is grace? It's that power that transforms, that power that changes. It changes people. And and I don't quite understand why it is that God ensured that I heard the gospel when I was a kid. There's so many people on this planet that never heard Jesus name one time. I do know this, though. That he's commanded all of us who have heard that name to make sure we take that name into the nations and into the regions of this world. We had a young man on Friday night who was visiting the church from western Nebraska, really, really small town. 
But what was surprising to me is when he was talking to one of our other ministers who had invited him, he said, would, would you like to come out to our church? And the young man said, well, I've never been to church before. Now, now you would wonder who in Nebraska has never in their life been to church. Not a funeral, not to a wedding, never been to church. But I met that young man before the service, and I preached that night, and I made sure I preached clear enough to tie all that I was dealing with, the blood of Christ and his sacrifices. I was working on that tabernacle and that altar out there in the outer portion of the the temple area. And in the end, that young man came up to me afterwards. He said, you know, I understood everything you said. I do believe I need to come back here and hear more about this God. See, When, when I first came out here, I was in Garland, Nebraska, little town, maybe 80 people, maybe. But I was in a living room teaching there. And there might have been 18 or 20 people in that living room. So I preached the gospel. After I preached, I said, if you are here right now and you want to give your heart to Jesus and you've never been a Christian, lift your hand in the air. Two hands went up. One was the hand of a young lady who was a school teacher. And she was married to a young man because they both were in their early 20s. She was married to a young man who told me, he said, I have never in my life been in a church. He said, this is the first time I've ever heard the gospel in my life. And he became a Christian just that fast. Don't ever take for granted that everybody out here knows about God. And don't ever take for granted that somebody has knocked on somebody's door to tell them about Jesus. You'll never know. You'll never know how important your testimony is to somebody and how important your witness is just to invite someone to church or to invite somebody to your home for a meal could be life changing. Because there are a lot of young people out here that are hungry, and there certainly are a lot of young people that don't know Christ. Amen? Yeah, I I can promise you all the times I was in the the young man in the military, I loved a home-cooked meal. And if if you ever need to know how to get to somebody's house to get a free meal, you come talk to me. I know every trick in the book because I did everything I could to make sure that I was at somebody's table, enjoying their family, and enjoying fellowship and having a wonderful time. Because in that military, I'm telling you, there, there's several hundred thousand Brennans that are hungry every day and looking for somebody to feed them. But that's a ministry. I knew a man named Pops. He's going on to be with the Lord. But Pops was the main cook at a church called Deliverance Evangelistic Temple, where I would go sometimes. And Pops was related to some people in the church where I went. I'd never met a man like him. His house, he and his wife, and he had his children, his house, every time I went there, had Marines or Air Force people or Navy people that were living with him. 
just turned the house into like a hotel. And people were just constantly coming and going. Every time he made a meal, he cooked for about 30 people. There never was a time that I went to his house. It wasn't filled with military personnel and then his own kids. And he would tell me all the time, Daryl, anytime you want to get off base and just come spend the night somewhere, you can come. Well, I, I didn't, but I did go there to eat quite a lot. But I, I thank God for anybody that'll love people that they don't even know that well and open up their house and their life and say, please come and enjoy what God has blessed me with. And, and, and I pray during this season that your life will be the same, that God would enlarge your heart to bless people and that throughout your life you'd be a blessing to people. Because if you've been saved by grace, then you have a reason to pass that grace on to somebody else so that they'll know the king. Amen. Amen. No doubt about it. Come on, let's stand on our feet. Yes. Anytime anybody's ever looking for a wonderful, good meal, just head to Destler and go to Amy and Todd's. Don't even call before you get there. Just show up. Just pitch a tent out in the front yard, and when they wake up, they'll see you out there and call you when the pancakes are ready. Make your way to some place for fellowship. But God is good, folks. He is. He's, he's wonderful, and we thank the king that we get to fellowship. And a lot of people in this world wish they had five people they could fellowship with. There's a bunch of us in here tonight. Yeah. Father, we're grateful this evening because you're so loving. And there's no better way to start a week than by coming and being with the saints and worshiping you, Lord, and hearing from your word. It's our prayer that you would lead and guide and direct our steps, God. Talk to us in a divine way. Continue to keep that fire burning inside of our hearts, Lord. We love you. and We pray that you continue to keep us and guide us until we meet here again. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Praise God, folks.